Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. In John 14, 9, that if you, Jesus says this of himself, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so if we need to know what God looks like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Amen? Now, I like that because I can't get my mind around, I can't get my mind around Jesus most days, um, but at least we have a, a picture of what Jesus looked like in his life and ministry. Certainly, it's almost impossible in our finite mind to understand what God looks like. Amen? And so through his life and his ministry, we get a snapshot, a very small snapshot of who he is. And so we're going to start a series today called Jesus, colon, God Revealed. Because God is revealed in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. All right? And so we're going to start that today, and I'm going to start that today with a, series, with a lesson titled, Jesus, the Power of God. And just so you know, each one of these lessons are going to be Jesus, the something, Jesus, the glory of God, Jesus, the authority of God. Um, Pastor Rick is actually going to teach in a couple of weeks on Jesus, the wisdom of God. And so we want to give you a snapshot of who God is, the God that you serve, so you can know what you're supposed to look like at the end of the day. Amen? And how you're supposed to react in regard or act in regard to the God that you serve. And so today I want to talk about Jesus, the power of God. So let's talk about power. I have seen power destroy. I have seen power inspire. I have seen power illuminate. And I have even seen power bring life. Amen? And I have seen all of these things in a single thing. And that single thing is lightning, is electricity. In electricity, we see the power to destroy. Angela and I, several years ago, we saw the power to inspire. As we were on vacation and we're up on the 16th floor, whatever floor we're typically on, we're usually pretty high up on the beach and you can look out across the ocean and you see a lightning storm and you're completely in awe, you're inspired by the the magnificence, the hugeness of the God we serve by watching a thunderstorm as it kind of floats across the ocean. And so we see the, the power to illuminate and even bring life in the power of lightning and electricity. Job in thirty eight thirty five says this, in describing the magnificence of God, the power of God, can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Now, let me say what that means. Seriously, he's saying, can you tell the lightning where to go and then make it give you a report of where it came from, which is thunder? The power of God can. The power of God is more powerful than the lightning that can destroy, inspire, illuminate, and bring life. And so I want to talk to you about that power today. I want to talk to you about the power that brings life, inspires, illuminates, and is even capable of destruction. I want to talk to you about the power of God and that there is no better presentation of the power of God than seen in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. 
Why am I taking the time to do it? I'm taking the time to do it because the next thing that we're going to cover after we get out of this series is identity. Is who you are. And many of us can't know or don't know who we are or the power or the, what we have in us because we don't know the God that we serve. So in order for us to know who we are, we have to know the God that we serve. And ultimately, that's where I want to get to. Give you a snapshot of the God that we serve so that you can have an understanding of who you are and the authority you carry and the power you carry and the wisdom you carry and all the things that God is because the Spirit of God lives in you. Amen? So, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to talk about the power of God specifically out of John 18. And I'm going to do it out of 1 through 14. If you want to read along with me, 18, 1 through 14 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, just so you guys know. You probably already know. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, being, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came with their lanterns and torches, lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. You'll know from other readings in the text, this is the point at which Judas came and actually kissed Jesus on the cheek to identify that, in fact, it was him. They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He answered them, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. And when he said to them, I am he, listen to this, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon series, or the sermon particularly, but isn't it awesome that we serve a God that loves us enough to move us out of the way so that we aren't destroyed when those around us intend to destroy us and took the destruction upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. Verse 9, to fulfill the word which he spoke of, which he spoke, of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. And from other readings in the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus picked the ear up and replaced it and healed Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So the Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Verse 14. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Amen. So let's talk. I've got three points I want to make out of this text. And I understand, please listen to me, there are, there are ways in which Jesus exhibited the power of God 
that I'm not going to talk about today. Because I can't talk about everything that Jesus did. But I want to talk to you about three very significant things identified in this scripture, in this passage, that represent the power of God in the life of Christ. Number one, the power of God is seen perfectly in the words of Jesus. Verse 6 says this, So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. These are, this, is, this is, if you're not paying attention to the lesson, if you're not paying attention to the text when you're reading through it, this will totally get by you. Let me explain to you what's just happened. If, and you guys have seen it on TV, I'm sure, with the passion of the Christ and all that kind of stuff, but it's misrepresented even on television. Even in the best passion movie, it's misrepresented what happened here. What happened here is Jesus has taken his disciples, his most intimate twelve, and he's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane overlooks Jerusalem. There's actually the Valley of Kidron is between them. And he's overlooking and he's praying and he's going back and forth to the disciples, as you know, because they keep falling asleep. And so he finally goes to them. And as he's speaking with them, it says that a cohort of Roman soldiers approached with what? With torches and weapons. Now, everybody that I've asked, I asked, I said, so how many people do you think actually came to Jesus to take him with swords, torches and weapons? And I often hear, I don't know, 15 or 20 or something like that. A cohort is between 140 and 400 soldiers. It's estimated that that night there would have been approximately 200. And that's of the Roman soldiers, not of the Jewish guard. It's something completely different. That would have been a whole other set of people. 200 people recognize the power of God in Jesus or that he possessed some power, whether they could identify it or not, and they sent enough people that it required a commanding officer to go with them. Not a squad leader, not a platoon sergeant, but a commander of the entire garrison, the cohort, went with them. Why? Because they recognized that something in Jesus was powerful enough that they would need that kind of manpower to do what they needed to do. This is the power of the God that we serve. And so 400 or 140 to 400 soldiers, I'm going to say 200 for the sake of argument, came and they asked. And Jesus steps out of the shadows and says, who do you seek? And they said, well, we're seeking Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus looked like. Jesus hadn't hidden himself. Matter of fact, he says in several places, I haven't hidden myself from you yet. Why do you come against me like this? So they knew who they were looking for. Did they ask? He asked them again, who are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And he says, I am he. And then this verse 6 happens. They drew back and fell to the ground. By the word and the expression of the name of Jesus, 200 battle-tested, hard, combat veterans, armed to the teeth, fell back. Now, this doesn't mean they just went. No, that's not what it means at all. In verse 6, it says, they drew back, which is this, and then fell back. They fell to the ground. Could you imagine the power that it must take to cause 200 people 
200 armed combat veterans to fall back onto their back, the mere declaration of the name Jesus causes your enemy to fall. You want to know what the power of God looks like? It looks like the declaration of the name of Jesus. When 200 people that were set to destroy him fell back, and the only reason they were able to take him is because it was time for him, according to this text, to take his cup. And he was always in submission to the Father. Not because they, they took him by force, but because he volunteered it. And this is the point that I'm trying to make to you, that, that all of them fell to the ground. There is, in the name of Jesus, no man, no thing, no sickness, no disease, no evil spirit can stand against the name of Jesus. I'm going to try to build your faith today. Nothing can stand against the name of of Jesus. Let me ask you the question, why not? Because the name of Jesus is the divine expression of God. Jesus is the word. Stay stay with me for a minute. This is important. Why does the name of Jesus carry power? Because Jesus is God. Because he is the word. Because He is the divine expression of an almighty God. God can't be separated from His Word any more than I can be separated from my Word. If I were to stand up here and say something crazy, you wouldn't go tell your friends just what I said. What would you say? You'd say, Jim said such and such. I can't be separated from my word. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, can't be separated from His either. And who does the Bible say the word is? Anybody? Jesus. Let me me read this to you because I don't want to just be talking without showing. Verse 1, John 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with Him. The W is capitalized. And when the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Why? Because the two are inseparable. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. God is the creative, or Jesus is the power of God because He is God, because He is the creative power of God. You can go through Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to go there right now, but Genesis chapter 1. And first, you know what? I am too. Just because I want to make this point very clearly. That what John says is true in Genesis. And I'm just going to skip some verses here. Verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 3. Then God said, let there be light. What did he do? He said, he spoke the word, which was G, which is Jesus. That was with Jesus at the time of creation, according to what I just read you in John. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. What did God do? He said, he spoke his word. Verse 9, then God said, he spoke his word, let the waters. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Said, 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 said. You know what the creative power of God is? You know where the creative power of God lies? In His Word. 
And Jesus is the Word. And we don't use it like we should. We don't recognize that we serve a God that has given us the ability to use His name's, His Son's name so that we might walk in the victory that we're called to walk in. It's not really the point I'm making here, but it's so true. When we speak the Word of God, it has the power to transform adverse circumstances into blessings. I want you to write these verses down. I don't know if they put them on the screen or not. I'm not going to read the verses to you. I'm going to read the idea of the verse. When we speak the Word of God, it has the power to transform adverse circumstances into blessing. Anybody ever dealt with an adverse circumstance? Maybe dealing with an adverse circumstance right now? Perhaps if we would speak the Word over that problem, which has the power of God in it, then we would be able to walk in the victory that God gave us the name Jesus to use so that we might walk in it. The Word promises protection. We shouldn't fear because He holds us in His righteous right hand. You guys know that that's one of my favorite verses. I am protected because I am held in, my, in God's righteous right hand according to Isaiah 41.10. God goes before us and will never leave us according to Deuteronomy 31.6. Why am I reading so many verses to you? Because I'm trying to build your faith. And the hearing produces faith. Deuteronomy 31.6 He delivers us from many troubles according to Psalms 34.19 God is our refuge, a place where we can hide and find security according to Psalms 46.1 God protects His people. He protects His people in 2 Samuel verses, or chapter 22. Let me read this truth bomb to you. 1 through 4, and I just want you to listen. I want you to superimpose your problem, your situation, your adverse condition over this truth. Can we agree that the Word of God is the truth of God? And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered them from the hand of his enemies, from the hand of Saul. So Jesus, or David spoke this when he was delivered, when the protection was complete. He said this, and you can say this over yourself, the reason I'm saying it. The Lord is Jim's rock and Jim's fortress and Jim's deliverer. Jim's God, his rock in whom he takes refuge. His shield and the horn of his salvation. Jim's stronghold and Jim's refuge. Jim's savior. You save him, me, from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. We got to learn to personalize the word. Amen? Because the word has power. Did you hear what I said? The word has power. And we need to access that power. The perfect power of God is demonstrated in Jesus. But not only does it promise protection, it promises provision. He is our shepherd. We lack nothing according, according to Psalms 34.10. God promises to meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 4.19. Did you catch that? Does everybody understand what that means? 
No, you don't. Don't lie to me. Because I don't understand what that means either. According to the riches of His glory, identify the riches of His glory and you'll understand what that means. That's so outside of our finite capability that we should rejoice because we can't grab a hold of it. His provision is oftentimes contentment with the provision you've already been given. Oh, I'm going to say that again. I need you to listen because so many people aren't ever satisfied. His provision may be contentment with the provision you've already been given. We need to learn to be content. We may already have what God, we may already be living in the blessing that God has for us. In fact, we are blessed, right? I'm blessed. Everybody in here got up this morning, had breath in your lungs. If you didn't eat, you could have. You had a cup of coffee, right? Was able to come in here to a, to a heated room, worship the one true God. You're blessed. Maybe we should be content with that. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, twelve ten. Paul says this. Therefore, I am content. But then he says something crazy. With my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for now I am weak. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I recognize that I can be content no matter where I am, I'm as strong as I'm ever going to be. Some of us are always walking around mealy mouth, dragging our lip behind us because we haven't recognized that God may already be blessing you. There have been times that I can identify in my life where my distressor was ultimately my blessing because it caused me to push into a God that I didn't recognize in that situation prior to that distress. And there's no greater blessing than that. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you the Word is powerful. The word is not only powerful, but the word promises protection and provision. And because it's absolutely true, because it's God-breathed and useful, you can count on it. It's time that we as believers start counting on the word of God. That we start declaring the word of God. Because the word of God is powerful. The perfect power of God is present in the words of Jesus. But, in order to live in the power of it, we've got to know three things. Number one, that we've been given authority to use it. You can have all the power in the world, man. You can have anything in the world, but if you don't know it belongs to you, it's not going to do you any good. We see it in the life of the disciples. Luke 9.1 says, then, we call, then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Matthew 28, excuse me, 28.18, he gave them authority to make disciples. We have been given authority. I'm going to go ahead and say it for those of you that don't understand our position here at Launch Point Church. We're not cessationists. Which means we don't believe that anything that the first century church had, we don't have access to anymore. Whatever they had, we have access to. If the Spirit of God gifted them, the Spirit of God gifts us. If Jesus gave them authority, He gave that authority to us. But He gave it to us for a reason, to use. And we walk around not living in victory because we don't use the Word, the authority that we've been given. 
Number two, we have to have faith to use it. Simply put, you have to believe that God said we could use it. I'm going to actually, I'm not going to elaborate on this point a lot because I'm going to talk about it in the next point. But number three, you have to know it. Let me tell you, this whole, I need a promise from God today for my problem. It's not how you seek after God. I'm not saying God can't miraculously work that out for you. But you need to be so in your word all the time that when a problem presents itself, you have a word in your heart, hidden in your heart, to stand on. You have to know the word to use the word. Amen. Psalm 119, 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I have a problem, when I have a situation, when I have a temptation even, I have to know the word to use the word. I have to have the authority. I have to know that I have faith in I have to have faith in that I have to know that I've, that I have to, well, I have to know the word if I'm going to use the word the way I should. Number two, the power of God is seen perfectly in the healing of Jesus. Going back to the text of John 18, 10 through 11, we read this. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So, Peter, so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? And now I want you to go to Luke twenty-two fifty-one. 22, 4, just listen to me say it. 2251 but jesus answered and said stop no more of this and he touched his ear and healed him this is the parallel this is the portion of the story that john didn't put in there that luke put in there but it's still all the same story let me tell you absence of information is not a conflict in scripture it's not a contradiction in scripture it just means two people watch the same thing happen one thinks one thing is more important than somebody else amen that's why we've been given four gospels because four gospels complete one story so not so it says that Jesus, as he was being seized, Peter, being like Peter is, took his sword off, cut off Malchus's ear. Jesus put it back on his head and says, Stop this, put away your sword. Don't you know it's time for me to do what God's called me to do? The power of God is seen perfectly in the healing of Jesus. Very simply put, God created perfectly and he can recreate perfectly. When people ask me, pray for my healing, whatever that healing is, I don't care if you stubbed a toe, broke a nail, I don't care what you did or if you're dying of cancer. You know what I'm going to tell? You know, I almost always say this. God, you created this body. I ask that you re perfectly. I ask that you recreate it perfectly. Even now as we are speaking, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to manifest a healing in whoever I'm praying for. Why? Because God created it. He knows the intimacies of it. He knows the intricacies of it. And because He is intimately familiar with you and knows the intricacy of how your body operates, He can recreate it perfectly if the enemy is trying to kill you. Woo, that's good right there, man. Come on, somebody give me an amen. We should be excited that there's opportunity for healing. Why? Because we're not cessationists. We believe this to be true. 
Jesus is God. And as God possesses the ability to heal. We see his healing power not just in this story, but we see it all throughout Scripture. I'm going to give you three examples. Number one, Matthew 15, 30, and 31 says this. Jesus healed the sick. The large crowds came to him, bringing him those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Why does God do everything that he does? So that he might ultimately be glorified. Amen? And so he healed, and he apparently healed completely. He didn't partially heal, he healed completely. Because it says here that the mute began speaking, the crippled became restored, the lame became walk, began walking, and the blind seeing. God still does this today. Angela and I, we hadn't been saved very long. We were saved just long enough to be foolish enough to think we should have a prayer meeting at our house. And so we, we made little cards, little index cards. We passed them around our neighborhood. And we said, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting at our house. We'd love to invite you. Just a time to get to know your neighbors and pray together. Something like that. And there was a woman from on top of the hill. She lived four or five houses up from us. Came down. She was mid-20s. Had a daughter that was two, three. Had a daughter that was three, and we got to, you know, we hung out for a while, and then we started our prayer circle. And her prayer request was this. My daughter's three years old, and it's never said a word. Three years old, never said a single word. He said, she said, all I want from God is for her to call me mama one time. So we prayed for that. She left our house, walked up, walked up the road, went in her house. Her daughter ran to her, jumped in her arms and said, Mama, tell me that the God that healed then doesn't heal now. Jesus healed the demoniac of possessed and tortured, the possessed and tortured, Luke 8, 36. Those who had seen it reported to them how much, how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. I only isolated the one text that shows the healing, but if you don't know the story of the demoniac, this cat was out of his mind. Wouldn't keep clothes on, chained him to a cave, and like everybody was scared of him. He broke chains. I mean, he was, he was devastated, but it says that Jesus healed this man. Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood. Luke eight forty eight, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman had an issue of blood. It's the story, if you'll read your Bible, about how she, she had to get to Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. And he says, who touched me? I felt power come out of me. And the thing that she'd been dealing with for years, she no longer dealt with starting in that moment. But you know what's interesting to me? Is these last words in this, in this verse. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Listen to this. Her condition was an issue of blood. But her trouble was that she didn't have any peace. Because she was ostracized from society. She was set aside. She was isolated. Many of us need to grab a hold of the fact that in our healing, 
That healing also includes the power for peace in your life. Because let me tell you, if you, if you live a life with no peace, you're as sick as any person with cancer. Because you can't get away from it. Jesus healed by the power of his word. He healed in this healing over sickness and disease out of Matthew. He had power over the possessed and oppressed. And he has power over depression and isolation. See, the healing that Jesus offers by the power of God isn't just physical healing. If it was only physical healing, you could keep it. Now, I'm not knocking physical healing. Praise God for it. But if it's just physical healing, my life's over this fast, according to the word of God. I need spiritual healing. I need emotional healing. And God offers all of these things by the power of who he is as demonstrated and given to us in Christ Jesus. Everything we have access to, we have access to because of Jesus. Do you hear what I said? The power of God, very simply put, is seen in the healing. The healings of Jesus. And I'm not trying to do anything today but build your faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. We need to understand that the, the Bible is absolutely true. In its entirety from front to back. If there's a single sentence in it that isn't true, it's all not true. But I'll tell you, it's all true. If there was power, in the, if there's power in the word, and if there's power for healing, then that power in the word is for you, and the power of that healing is for you. God's good, man. Can I tell you, Jesus is willing to do the same for you. The Bible tells us that he's not a respecter of persons. Acts 10, 34 then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. This is when the Gentiles were able to receive. And so he's saying there's no partiality in salvation. Anybody that cries the name of Jesus can be saved. Deuteronomy 10, 17, he says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. This is in regard to who he blesses. You know who he blesses? He blesses whoever he deems necessary to bless. Whoever blesses him, whoever acknowledges that he is God of gods, that he is Lord of lords, that he wants to take care of you, that he will take care of you. Anyone that enters into relationship with him, he blesses impartially. I like that because sometimes I feel like I'm not worthy, but the word of God says that I'm worthy because I belong to Jesus. So what does it take? For God's word in regards to healing to do the same for you. I told you I was going to talk about faith in just a moment. Matthew 21, 21 and 22 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you know, we will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. 
and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Did you catch that? What do you have to have? Faith and not doubt. Believe and receive. It sounds good, but can I tell you, there's an if-then. Psalms 34, 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So we have to pray the desires of our heart, believing in faith. How can we guarantee that we're going to receive the desires of our heart? Because some of us may desire to win the lottery. Let me tell you how. Because the more you chase after, the more you pursue God, the more your desires are going to be like His desires. And the things that you are going to pray for are the things that He wants for you. Psalms 34 or 37 verse 4 starts like that but ends like this. Or correction, the verse before that and after that says like this. Verse, let me read the whole text. Verse 3, 4, and 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Commit your, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. And so yes, sandwiched in there is delight to yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. But that's if you trust in Him, you do good, you dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, which means you abide in Him, commit your way to Him, trust in Him, and He will do it. So as we chase Him, our heart changes. I don't know about you guys, but from the day that I started chasing Him till now, my heart has changed. A little bit first, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And now I recognize that the desires that God has for me are more important than the desires I have for myself. And so those things that I can have faith in, those things that I have to believe in and know that I will receive them are the things that God desires for me because I know the word of God. Everybody get what I'm saying? It's not a loophole. It's the entire truth, not just half of it. There's always an if then. And finally, number three. The power of God is seen perfectly in the gospel of Jesus. Mm. Verse 14 of our text says this. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. I want you to turn to John eleven forty-nine through 52 to kind of get an idea about what he's talking about. 11, 49 through 52 says this, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing. They're arguing about Jesus. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one of the... Ch into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Let me tell you what this verse 14 in chapter 18 says. 
Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jew that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. This is the gospel message. That one man would die for an entire people. Not just the nation of Israel, but anyone that accepted the name of Jesus. It's the gospel that holds the power of salvation. If you don't hear anything else I say, I need you to listen to me now. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of of God. And so I want to run down what is the gospel? It's the understanding that no one deserves a relationship with God because all are in rebellion to God. Romans 3.23 tells us this very simply. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? It's the truth that even though God demonstrates his existence to us, we fail to see it. I want to read you something out of Romans. And I hadn't planned on turning there, but I'm going to because it's so significant. Did you know God, even before he sent Jesus, showed himself, revealed himself to man? One nineteen and 20 says this, because that which is known about God is evident within them. First off, we, we're, we're, we have an innate understanding that God exists. That there's something bigger than us. For God made it evident to them. For, this, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, who He is, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. All of us have sinned. None of us have a justification for sinning. Because, because we have all sinned, because God has shown himself, because none of us, according to Romans 3, seek after him, there is no one righteous, no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. I know that's heavy, but let me tell you, the gospel without the reason for the gospel isn't the gospel. The cross is magnificent, but it's magnificent because of who we were and what we would be had the cross not existed. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But the great truth is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He proved His love for us. According to Romans 5, 8. He proved His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. Encapsulating in this truth is John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What am I trying to do? I'm just trying to tell you the word. 
You know who doesn't hold the power of salvation? I am literally foolishness. It's the foolishness of preaching that brings man to God. It's the power of the gospel that saves them. None of us deserve it. God gave it to us anyway. But somebody had to pay the debt that we owed. The Bible says penalty for sin is what? Death. Somebody had to be that substitution for us. And that substitution was Jesus. He bought us back from the enemy so that we could belong to him forever. Because we sold our soul to the enemy in sin. This truth is seen in Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took on our sin. Perfect. Had no sin of his own. Because if he had any sin of his own, he wouldn't have been worthy to take our sin. <laughs> Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. How were, we wa- how were we bought back? By his blood. Because without the shedding of blood, according to the word of God, there is no remission of sin. Blood had to be shed. God made the rules. And he's a just God. And so if he made the rule, he sticks by the rule. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It says he did that not because we deserve it, but by the riches of his grace. He did that because he loves you enough to do it. Not because you deserved it, but because his love, his character, his divine nature demands that kind of love from him. And that's good. Anytime I can receive something from God that I don't deserve, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good position, which is all the time, because listen to me, nobody has ever received anything from the hand of God that they deserve. Jesus bought us back. And it's the incredible blessing, the gospel is the incredible blessing that provoked by the Spirit, all that is required of us is an acceptance of the truths I've just spoken. That all have sinned, none chase after him, none are worthy. But he loved us enough anyway, even in that condition, to send his son Jesus to die for us. That by the power of his blood, he paid our debt. Our sins were removed from us. We were covered in the blood of Jesus. And the incredible thing, the incredible, wonderful thing about it, is that God has made it simple for us to receive salvation. It wasn't simple. It's simple for us. It was horribly unsimple for Jesus. But because of the work that Jesus put in, it's simple for us. That all we have to do, listen to me, this is so incredible to me. I would think, man, I'd have to spend the rest of my life making big rocks out of, or little rocks out of big rocks or something but Jesus just says this or the word of God just says this if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved isn't that awesome incredibly simple for us if you'll declare in your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord which means you're going to do what he says 
You're not going to live according to your own standard anymore, his standard only. And that God raised him from the dead, believing that that miraculous thing, because he did it for Jesus as the first fruit, he's also willing and able and wanting to do it for you, that you're going to spend eternity with him. And so I go back to 1 Corinthians 118, where it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why is it foolishness? Because that anything that complex, and for us to receive it simply, seems like foolishness. Why would God so freely give us something that cost Him everything? I'll tell you why. Because He loves you. There's only one reason Jesus did it all. Because he loves you enough that he wants to spend eternity with you. Amen? So I want to ask this question before we go. I don't want you to be ashamed. I wish I could scream this at you, but I'm not going to. I don't want you to be ashamed of the gospel. Because Jesus wasn't ashamed to hang on the cross so that you could have access to it. I don't know where you're at, but God does. Whether you raise your hand in this place or not, whether you stand up in this place or not, God knows the condition of your heart. You can lie to me all day long, but the Spirit of God knows you. And so I ask you, is there anything standing between you and the God that sent His Son Jesus to the cross to save you? whether you've never accepted Jesus Christ at all and you're feeling provoked to do that now, or whether you know you've strayed. I had a guy call me yesterday, normally comes to this service and said, man, I need to sit down and talk with you. I need, I need to pray. I've got some things on me that's standing between me and God. He didn't show up this morning. But you're here, and God's dealing with you. And so I ask you, do you believe these truths? Do you believe that the power of God is revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus? And that he died that you might ultimately be with him forever? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and we thank you, God, that your power is so wonderfully exhibited to us in your son, Jesus. God, that you've given us access to your word, that you've given us through your word the access to healing. God, that... Jesus is that word. And God, that your power is seen in salvation. And that you miraculously created righteousness in us where there was previously no righteousness is a miracle unlike anything I've seen. God, I praise you that the people in this room are exactly where they should be. But God, if there's any person in this room that for whatever reason was intimidated or insecure or uncertain about standing up. God, they don't have to make that confession to me. I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you provoke them to make that confession to you. God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done, for what you continue to do. I pray a blessing over every person in this room. Let us walk out of this place reflecting who you are, crucifying our flesh daily conforming to your will so that we might know what you need from us.
We praise you, God, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.